0: Hello everyone, this is Kate Fitzpatrick, welcoming you to a delightful evening of conversation with the Stages podcast, live show. As you no doubt know, Stages is the podcast that converses with creatives about craft, career and what matters to them. I've been lucky enough to appear on the podcast three times. First as a guest being celebrated for a lifetime on stage, something which has sadly seemed to come to an end. Now I have become a regular co-hosting the annual christmas episode thank you for your attendance tonight and now please welcome your host peter Ayers.
1: hello thursday night in ultimo here we are oh don't, don't stop so quickly Ah uh, there we go oh we're here we're here uh, good evening ladies and gentlemen um welcome to the stages podcast live show uh, session two, we, we commenced last week with a, a lovely conversation with uh, Carmen Pavlovich and uh, continuing today with a more uh, wonderful conversation with uh, two of the country's leading costume designers. Um, do I have any listeners to, uh, of the podcast here? Yes, excellent. Thank you. Um, so, welcome. Welcome also to the people who might be listening at home because, of course, the podcast platform is a wonderful platform. You can access it anywhere you like, anytime you like, and consume it in, uh, in any uh, location or time. You might have people home tonight who are ironing. They might be at the gym. They might be on a long walk. But uh, wherever you are, thank you for tuning in. So, without any further ado, it is my great pleasure to welcome to session two of Stages Live uh, costume designers extraordinaire. Would you please welcome Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch? Yeah. <laughs> Here they come, those beautiful girls! <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Thank this you. is where we pretend we haven't met. <laughs> that was very cruel, wasn't it, asking you to walk down that's there in the right. dark? We made it. When you practised, uh, we had
2: light.
1: <laughs> we so, light, that's a good topic to start with. Uh, if we tap into the, the vivid uh, themes of light, music and ideas, if, if I could perhaps start with what lights up your world, what lights up your life? Jennifer, do you
2: want to go first? Oh, <laughs> do you want to go for Well, I, 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 I did know you were going to ask this question, yeah, I know, so I, I don't
1: <laughs> give away the illusion <laughs> of the theatre. This is all have, spontaneous,
2: and um, I really think it's actually what I kind of do every day, which is um, be with my my family, we're, have a very close knitted family, and create work. So I pretty much paint or create something every day. And, um, you know, if if I had to give up everything, they, were the, they would be the two things that I I would have to hold on to. So, yeah, I'm fortunate to be doing what lights up my life every day.
1: Brilliant. Jen?
2: Well, I thought about this question and I, <laughs> I was thinking...
3: You know, every, I, I think it's beauty, actually. Beauty, but not in, in the the idea of, um, you know, personal beauty. It's more about walking along the road or the beach and, and looking at, you know, the formations of things and the colours of things and and finding a beauty in, in so many... Like, you might be a tree or a bit of bark or... I mean, it's the light, the colour of the sky like, and cloud formation. It's like every day, you know, starting the day and looking at something in a different through different eyes and different aspect, I think.
1: Um, It's interesting you say that. Nature is a great um, influence on design, isn't it? Mm. I mean, um, have you been to Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, the the, the Gaudi? um,
2: Extraordinary.
1: Extraordinary. Obviously so influenced by by nature.
2: Mm.
3: Beautiful.
1: Does that come to your designs? Do you see something on the beach? Most
3: definitely. I think most, most days I'm always thinking about work... Work, even when I'm you know, lying in bed, I'm always thinking about work and, and things that I can draw from. And, I mean, you might be driving down the motorway and just see water coming down the rocks and, and things and, and looking at different... ..just looking at it in a different abstract way, I think.
1: What about music, then? If we, we take up the other vivid theme... Is there a, a style of music that uh, you take solace in that, that inspires you? That <laughs> Do you play music when you're, when you're working, when you're designing?
2: Um, look, it really varies for me. Sometimes I love things to be entirely quiet. Um, but I tend to, if I am working, I tend to have kind of um, various jazz in the background because I feel like it's kind of peaceful but it's also got a lot of motivation behind it. So I really like um, artists like Madeleine Perot, And there's an Australian artist, Kate Wadey. And she has the most extraordinary voice... ...but also the most incredible depth of knowledge... ...in terms of what jazz classics are around. So she's kind of... Um, she's an education in her own right as well, which is fabulous. But yeah, I like things to be kind of peaceful... ...but also... Um, they keep you motivated the whole way, and I think jazz is really perfect for that. Great,
3: great. Jennifer, I've always been a bit of a
2: fan of disco,
3: <laughs> 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 but, but I mean, it just depends on the day. I like I like a Amy Winehouse, I like Motown, I like, you No, know, maybe. And and having done some operas, well, now I, I, I you know, it's it's appreciating different different music at different different days, different. And and depending on what you're working on and if you're sitting at home drawing or sewing or creating something, well, it just depends, I guess, if you need some momentum to get you going or...
1: You've designed a lot of uh, operas and dance works, as have you, Julie. Do you play those scores while you're working on on those particular shows?
3: Um, I think the more you... Certainly when you're researching it you, you listen to others and you watch other perform, um, designs or just even to understand the story because um, I guess and the, and the more you, you listen to it the more you get into the character of even if you have no idea what they're singing about but I mean it, uh, uh, like opera really amazes me because I haven't I mean it's only in the last few years I've done opera but Actually seeing somebody standing on stage and singing without... like ..you know, it's amazing the, the respect I have for somebody that can actually just... ..from nothing to, to something. It's, it's remarkable coming out of their body. And, and if you work with dance, you, you know, seeing dancers dancing... ..in extraordinary movement. So it's, like, depends what genre you're working in, I guess.
1: Because you've both designed opera, theatre, music theatre, dance. There are different considerations for each discipline, I guess?
2: I think they're hugely different, really. Um, I've actually done very little dance. I've done dance inside music theatre, whereas um, Jenny's done <coughs> dance in the classic mm, sense. Dance really isn't. And I've where done a I've lot of away. work with the spoken word. Um, um, and I do, I do tend to play them um, quite a lot if I am designing f- for opera or music theatre. Um, but I feel like as well you never really, really know it until you've sat through Tech Week. Um, where you've watched it over and over and over and it's been embodied. You think you know it. You think you've listened to it a lot... Um, ...but when everything is coming together and you're hearing those moments over and over again... ...it really is a a truly wonderful thing. Similar to what Jenny was saying. I've also been fortunate to work on small operas where you're actually very close to the singer. Like physically close. Like the opera singer is sitting here uh, or standing here and, you know, you're as close as that first row... And that's where you truly, truly understand the power and the technique and the cleverness of, of, of that opera performer. It's, it's unbelievable um, being that close. And I wish it was done more often like that. Um, but I suppose it just comes down to cost. But opera singers, with a small group of audiences, it's, it's extraordinary.
1: Jennifer, you're in the extraordinary position as a designer to have three shows playing at the Opera House at the moment.
3: <coughs> in a minute. Um,
1: Congratulations.
3: Bangara opens tomorrow night at uh, an old work that we did 10 years ago, Terrain, and then a month later or three weeks later, it, Sansong, and at the end of this month, uh, Madame Butterfly for Opera Australia, which is a, a remount, but only had a very short run because of COVID. It only did Sydney and hopefully it'll go somewhere else.
1: Now, you've been with Bangara for since since it was since,
3: since the beginning 32 years. But I mean I mean I'm a freelancer so I met Stephen Page who is the outgoing artistic director of Bangara but he was a dancer at Sydney Dance Company and I worked for Sydney Dance Company you know from 1980 um, as a maker, sewer, designer, and that's really how I got into it. Um, But I was there for 16 years and Stephen Page was there as a young boy for his first professional job. And then, of course, he went into running um, Bangara. So, of course, you ask the people you know, and that's... And so he said, come and make some costumes for me. And (laughs) I've been... And I've kind of been there for 32 years, but I... I mean, come and go and come and go, but uh, it's it's been a constant, and and you know, as a non-indigenous person, it's pretty, it's for me, it's you know, it's a great um, privilege to still be asked back every time, and
1: because there would you would need a, a cultural sensitivity or or awareness, wouldn't you? Yes, um, and every, intellectual properties and.
3: I mean, for me, every well. It, Bengara is a storytelling company and in the early days it was more... You know, it was very abstract, but they've done a lot of um, character ballets since. So it's... um, I... You know, when we first talk about the creation of of what their work, I have to do a lot of reading because, you know, there's been a lot left out in our history that that we all need to read up about. So generally I do a lot of um, research, and then we all do... You know, it's very much collaborative, all of us together. But then I do kind of... All my work, costumes are very kind of abstract. I, I never... I do need... If, if there are traditional costumes, I, would, I don't make those. I would always approach elders or people of cultural elders that can guide us in which way to do the right things. But, you know... Or, you know, the feather strings or the, any, anything that's traditional, I don't do. But, um, so all my costumes really sit around that whole, um, you know, the, the creation that, are, that I, I do them in an abstract kind of way. So, and, but I do need to think about the colours and the, you know, I have to be very aware
1: we're looking at some of the designs now on, on the screen. And, and people listening at home, I'll, I'll share them on social so that you can uh, have a look. But the materials are very much uh, feathers. Um...
3: Well, over 32 years, we've kind of become braver and we've become more sculptural. And so this particular one is uh, gra- grasses. And And the first time I made that, I did actually go... And find grasses, and make it from the real thing, and then you know, as it falls apart, well, then you just start using artificial ones. But, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like it, it's a learning process, and things have evolved over thirty-two years. The, thirty-two years ago, you couldn't find good artificial grasses, but you can now. And feathers, and you know, there whatever would, else. There would
1: be a, f- a fragility to to a lot of those costumes, would there? And
3: Especially when they're. Rolling around on the ground, and, and bhangara is very, very knee-based works, ground-based works, and lots of ochre and lots of, and dancing is very uh, physical. So it's it's, you know, the, and the, all the partnering and the, like it's very destructive. It's not like working for the opera company where you where nothing, everything that you see on opening night is exactly the same ten years later. It's identical, whereas Bangara it kind of. Um, it, it, it goes on its own journey and gets caked and caked and caked with different ochres and colours of ochres and, and it becomes something else itself, which I love. I mean, I encourage that. And it, that is, a, you know, the, the costumes go on their own journey and, and yeah.
1: Mm. Um, Julie, can I ask you about uh, designing for opera? In particular, um, there was a beautiful... Uh, Weimar era La Boheme, which you designed. Every costume in that, from the principals to, to chorus, was a work of art in itself. Uh, a large company, um, Opera on the Harbour, Carmen, um, which you directed, huge number in in the company. That must take an eternity <coughs> to design, is it?
2: Uh, I always seem to be doing things at the designing at the last minute. So I think the design ideas came together. Quite quickly, in both cases, the director was Gayle Woods, and I've done about 25 shows with her. And f- once you work with a director successfully uh, for a long time, you you start quite quickly, and you can move on quite quickly too. So our design process um, is uh, sharp, bold. Uh, accurate, I think, in terms of where we want to go. And so we don't lose much time in terms of getting it designed. But the opera, um, I don't know how much experience the, the listening audience has, but the opera then does operate possibly six months in advance once you've actually handed the designs in. And depending on the scale of it, the build could happen quite quickly or it could happen Uh, further down the track. In the case of both La Boheme and Carmen, they are the biggest... ..they are are and were the biggest budget productions I have ever worked on. Um, And when you do work at the opera, everything you design, once it's been approved, um, you know, financially, it will be delivered. And it will be delivered wonderfully because you get to work with so many... Fabulous artisans, and there's such a, uh, you know, really significant process behind how everything's done from the from the moment you know materials are bought or items are bought to first and second and third stage fittings. Wigs are made, bespoke wigs are made, makeup pieces, um, sculpture, art finishing, leather work. Uh, it really is. Um, the, the kind of company that you want to design for because every idea you create will um, be realised to, you know, the standard that you, you hope for. So, yeah, it's great. Takes a long time, um, yes, but it's absolutely... It, ..you get an awesome result.
1: How many designs would you have done for, for those shows? For, 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 for drawing? Carbon, for, yeah, how many individual?
2: drawings. <laughs> um, I'll sometimes, you know, I'll, if there's, you know, people in underwear, I might, you know, just draw five people and say there's 20 of those and work <laughs> out uh, work out them along the way. But there, it's in the hundreds in, in, in both cases. And there would be everything... Every single costume would be listed or or referenced, Um, it's hundreds and hundreds of drawings and I do work out my ideas through the drawing, whereas some people prefer to work on the stand or work on the body. I'm thinking that most of my work will be makes so there won't be that many things that are actually found. So as I'm drawing it, I'm actually thinking about how it will be... Constructed and the materials that will, um, you know, that they are likely to be made, to be made from.
1: So, so you need to suggest the material that that yeah. ideally the and, costume. And
2: funnily enough, with Lava Wham, I got asked to do the job just before I was going overseas, and I actually swatched fabric in about five different countries on the way home. So I actually began with the fabric. Which is an unusual thing to do. So I knew it was being set in Berlin during the Weimar time. And so I was actually finding fabric that had that feel and brought that home and used that um, to work out the colour palette, the characters with, with Gail. So that was a, you know, I've, I've never really done that before. ...but it was kind of convenient, it was a great way of using my time... ...because I was travelling, but I was still kind of designing in my head. And so when all the lead pencil drawings were done... ...Gail and I, in her, you know, in her kitchen um, in Glebe... ...were cutting up little pieces of fabric and moving them around... ...before I then coloured them all. Um, and, which, and when you're doing hundreds of drawings... ...you don't want to colour them too many times... So it was a really great way of working.
1: Uh, and costumes once they're, once they're built, they will be worn uh, possibly eight times a week, not so much in opera but but in in, in any other theater, uh, eight times a week. So they've got to be really malleable and, and tough and, and and last the distance.
2: <coughs> yeah, they they're generally um, built by people that are incredibly skillful in terms of knowing. What will last? you know what kind of linings things might need to be used. Um, laundry, it's not an interesting subject, but it's <laughs> it is actually important. So I can be a bit anal when I've gone on on projects that have been overseas. I've also written laundry lists because I couldn't bear to see the costumes just get ruined after all that. Trouble, so you get to know the kind of way a costume should be um, maintained. Have you done that, Jenny? Written laundry list? Yeah, so I I can be a little bit controlling. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: What about um, considerations? Um, You're designing for costume, uh, for character, but something like opera, obviously you need to be considerate of the singer... Who is reliant on the diaphragm and being able to access that? With dance, the the dancer has to be able to, to move freely and feel comfortable to give their best performance. What are the other considerations that you need to take into account when designing a
2: costume? Oh well, I I, <laughs> I, I, I can speak. Yeah, for you go on. Um, look, there's always there's always a solution. Um, but for, for a dancer for me, and it has been musical theatre, you have to get the shoes right. The shoe, if, the, if the dancer does not love the, love the shoes, you'll be there for a very, very long time. So things like shoes are established very, very early on. Other, other things, there's half your budget gone. Yeah, there's half your budget. <laughs> um, and then... Um, Things like people go, oh, you know, they couldn't possibly sing in a corset or they couldn't... But they love them, don't they? That's right. Or they couldn't possibly sing in that kind of bra or they couldn't bend in that. There's always a gusset or something that can be adjusted within something to get it to actually work on the performer. I think the biggest problems I've probably had... ...and this is with, you know, even non-singing, dancing um, actors... ...is actually the weight of a costume. So, you know, if you've worked on shows which are set in winter... ...such as Love or Arms and the Man... ...and it's lots of layers of overcoats and things... ...if somebody has to do something quite a lot and it's repeated... Because you have to make sure you're not going to repeat injure somebody. It's working out the something to look thick and heavy, but actually not be, not be thick and heavy. Um, mm. I think I think what I have learnt um, through experience is beginning a dialogue with your your performer from the get go that really feels like a genuine dialogue that you are going to. Listen to what they say. You are going to adapt when something is needed to be um, adapted. And uh, I think you'll get a much, much better result. You can never just kind of say, oh, no, I've designed that. So that's what we're actually going to have it is absolutely, I think it's absolutely a conversation with a performer, with a director, with the production uh, and if you're not if you're not open to that you you need to um, find yourself a different line of work I think
1: <laughs> however,
2: yeah. see. That's why I love dance so much because dancers
3: will wear anything <laughs> they will wear because they've done it from such a young age mm. they will they will absolutely wear anything and they don't question it whereas a a, a, a an act, actor or loves to have the character given to them as well to make them feel like the character where dancers you know looking at Really, we're looking at their bodies. So you don't want to inhibit anything that they're doing. So they're they're totally different um, perspectives, aren't they?
2: Yeah, and I, I also there's possibly a different perspective with chorus too because they're used to being different characters almost every day of the week, so they treat it as more business-like, that they need to have it, you know, operate on them, whereas a principal in, in an opera will absolutely have an opinion about every element of the costume as as <laughs> as, a, as an actor. And there's actually... ..you know, the more you do it, the more you actually enjoy... ..that conversation and that dialogue. Um, I always worry, and I worry this about this a lot, particularly with a director. If you've presented everything to the director, your first ideas... ..and they say that they love them, you know you're in trouble. Because you haven't actually had a proper conversation about something. You haven't actually teased out where something can go. Um, So I I get... And there have been a couple of shows where I've gone and I thought, well, I can't have got all that right um, first time around. I expect things to go back and forth.
1: Let's talk about um, quick changes in in a show. Have you had to do many uh, designs where an actor appears in one scene and they've got literally 30 seconds to change into something else before they appear... You've got a funny story. I, I, have.
3: I have. You would have. Um, oh, no, I just think that's part and parcel yeah. of the, the job.
1: That's a consideration, really? isn't yeah. it? When you are uh, absorbing the text and, and what does the, the production require?
2: Yeah, I think it also comes down to style. So you need to establish the style of the production, and that will come from, um, you know, it'll come from the story, but it's also going to come from the way it's going to be staged. And if it is a series of tiny little <laughs> scenes, ...that where an actor is going from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And I did do that on Mark Colvin's Kidney for Belvoir Street with David Bertholdt. And, you know, there were c- people playing five or s- six people... ...in, in the manor- manner of a few minutes. So you're actually coming up with a, a, a style of design... that, ...and it is a contract with the audience... ...that the audience will begin to understand that you have actually changed quite minimally or added or taken away for us to understand that that is a that is a new character so it's 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 not actually uh, just a matter of making sure that there's plenty of velcro or poppers or you know elastic shoes it's actually creating a design idea that the audience will understand and they will follow and they will recognize that little change that will tell the audience, that we now are hearing from somebody else.
1: Is it easier to design something which is extravagant and flamboyant and feathered and sequins than it is to design something which is perhaps more uh, impoverished or rags and and, and downbeat? You'd have more fun, I guess, with the, the glitz and the glamour, would you?
2: I haven't done very many shows in singlets. (laughs) I I haven't, Um, and I think what happens is you kind of get branded about a particular kind of design that that you do. Yeah. Um, And so even if you wanted to work on a show like that, um, you probably really have to put it out there for people to understand that that's the kind of work you that you would like to. ...you would like to do. Uh, I do admire people who do that kind of work wonderfully well... ...where the tiniest detail in a pair of jeans... ...or a shirt or a singlet is telling the audience... ...an enormous amount about that character. But I have, I have tended to be given uh, shows... ...that um, are, are going to be builds, they're going to be makes... And therefore, um, there's there's less of that um, subtlety going going on.
1: Let's talk about collaboration because obviously the work of the lighting designer can influence what your costumes are going to look like. Uh, the set designer, you need to collaborate with them to achieve a, a particular aesthetic for the production uh, how does that how does that work how do you uh, collaborate with those those designers
3: well I, I guess my whole career has been collaborating with the same people in many ways because my whole journey was with Graham Murphy for the first part of my career and and Stephen page and then in between others but Generally, it comes with building a um, well. Working together, like a, it's a like for me, working with Graham or working with Stephen is is very easy. And the set and we've it's always been the same groups of people too. So we really uh, totally collaborate because we actually. Um, like, I, like when we sit in a room and, and start throwing ideas around, we can actually... I understand exactly what they're talking about when it comes to Graham and Stephen and all of our little inner circle, which is why I think we've been luckily quite successful in our, in our stagings because um, we like the same things. And, but, you know, it's, a long, it's been a long process of years of work, but I think that's w- why it is successful.
1: So you all sit down together from day one?
3: Definitely more ideas than day in. one. Like right. like you no, know, when we when we even get the inkling of oh this job might like if it's an opera like for Graham Murphy, oh well I've done his operas in the last couple of years or the last ten years or so. And if he thinks, okay, I'm, I'm think I might be going to do this opera and then he'll call it call us all up and we'll come over and sit down and have a few drinks and go, oh, well, how can we do it? And then you know, work on this idea of, okay, well, I'll put that idea together. And, we, and it really is um, a collaboration. And, and, I mean, Stephen being at Bangara was, is a permanent company, so it's, it's okay, we're going to do this work next year. So it's, it's a different way of working. Because, I, I mean, I've been a freelancer, but many of my jobs have been with the same people. And, and when I've done something with Neil Armfield, it's always been the suited ones. or the You know, it's strange that you get... Slot, like Julie said, you're always slotted into this thing, even though we're very capable of going the ho- all the spectrum, the genres of everything, but you do kind of get trapped. Like, I, I've been working in ballet for 40 years now and I've never done anything with a tutu.
2: <laughs>
3: Which I'd love to do, yeah. nobody's ever asked <laughs> me to a classical ballet. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, if anyone's listening,
2: <laughs> you're a
1: chill for hire. Julie? Um,
2: Collaboration? Yes,
1: the lighting designer and um, set designer. I think
2: it's really changed. Um, in fact, my, my doctorate is pretty much about... ...why costume design is really important... ...and why we should always be invited to all the early creative meetings. Because early on in my career, that wasn't the case. I'd say it is now. I think people work very differently to how they used to work. But um, it was often felt that the set designer... ...was going to come up with the key idea. And therefore those first meetings... Uh, would often happen with the, the the director and the set designer. and the poor lighting then, designer comes last. Yeah, and the lighting designer might even come to the you know the first first rehearsal presentation now now that that has all changed. Um, the, a director would expect to try and gather as many people as they possibly can. Um, to begin that creative conversation, and to begin and to begin to share ideas and bounce off each other, and you know, in my thesis, I wrote a whole bunch of case studies of about the way those different ideas can overlap and feed into each other. I think Neil Armfield is a good, is a really good example, um, but I also had a really ...great experience with Eamon Flack at Belvoir Street. And we had not worked together before. This was on Ghost. And he he was the first, and so that's got to be after 30 years... ...where a director has said, I will dedicate half a day's rehearsal... ...on the first day of rehearsal... ...for all of us to talk through the costume designs together... And uh, normally, what would happen, or normally what has been my experience, is that the designs would be presented, and the costumes would be explained to the performer by the designer and perhaps the costume team, so the the performer understands what they're getting, and for them to feedback and to begin that conversation. But the director has not generally been inside that first conversation they've been in rehearsals because rehearsal time is seen as so important and because Eamon and I hadn't worked together um, I asked for that afternoon and he dedicated that entire time and it was absolutely fabulous Um, I didn't realise how much I had been missing that whether directors will do that in the future, I don't know. But it is it is so key. You think you've had that conversation or you think you've passed on that, that bit of information. But it's not the same as everyone being in the same room at the same time. And it's not like we had every actor talking about one person. We were kind of doing it in little groups. But... Everyone was around, so if we needed to ask somebody something, they could be drawn into the conversation. It was really, really collaborative. It was really fabulous, the, the entire experience.
1: And a way to get the, uh, the best outcome for the work. Ab-
2: absolutely. Yeah.
1: Jennifer, designing on a large canvas like the Olympic Stadium, uh, you designed the awakening ceremony for the 2000 Sydney Olympics opening ceremony. <coughs> How was that?
3: Pretty amazing. I mean, you know, to to in in strangely, doing a large work is somewhat easier. I think because you've got so much support and uh, well, the the Olympics was a, a special project and 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 but a non-indigenous person designing the costumes. But also, you could say I coordinated also all the, the traditional costumes because I flew with Stephen all over Australia and we went to invite all of our Indigenous um, performers or whoever wanted to be in it or participate and find out what they wanted to contribute or not and trying to convince them to come. <laughs> <laughs> and And then the whole logistics of bringing them down and putting them all together and and tor- you know, so i flew to the torres strait islands and to central desert and to all over the top end and it was so amazing just meeting everybody and and working on something together and then when they all came every i mean that's a completely different story that anyone's even heard the whole logistics and when everyone was here because you know the torres strait island elders and and Aboriginal elders, they'd never met each other and that was you know it was so fascinating because they were all staying in in a couple of big camps down at um Stamil Tops and that actually should have really been filmed the whole meetings and mm. the and the, the big robberies and the and the food was brought down and the clothes were brought down and cuz you know everybody has different diets and different um, you know, central desert women and they all ate kangaroo tails and the um, northern uh, Torres Strait Islanders are all fish and uh, and, and their health issues and everything that was contributed to put on something and the backstage and, of course, the, the urban Indigenous people that in these particular, you know, just doing something abstract that would kind of um, not... Well, be abstract yet work with you know, on in that stage together, and then so and also you're thinking about something that's got to be right presented to the world, but also from television and from far distance. And I, myself, and and Michael Wilkinson, we did all of closing ceremony too. So, you know, which was totally different with Kylie and and Elle McPherson and every, all their dances and everybody else. So that was total extremes, but incredible working together with. Everybody you've ever worked on in every department of every show, (laughs) all on one one show, and oh, it was you know it was the best thing I've ever done, really.
1: Very exciting. I believe you also had to design a specific suit or sports (laughs) outfit for.
3: Well, I I made that as well. (laughs) about that. I made Kathy's well torchlighting suit. That the night before and actually if you look at it I sewed the the Olympic rings upside down. (laughs) It was very late at night and 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 the way the way that the printing had come (laughs) It was all print, like, yeah, they had, they wanted the pattern up one side and, and I just, you know, it was really, it was the night before, I, mm. it was the night before it opened. <laughs> and then they bring they you up and say, OK, it's blah, 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 and you go, OK, well, I thought it was. But, um, <laughs> and so I, I cut the pattern out and you're just looking at the, 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 the printing down one side and I just, I didn't even look at the way the print, it just, anyway, nobody picked it up except for the telegraph. Because <laughs> it's silver, and mm. anyway, I, I actually think it looks better that way. Yes, yeah, so that's <laughs>
1: one Well, uh, The costume got plenty of airtime that night. Didn't it did, it, it. it, it did,
3: but it was so very shiny and, and, was it and a bit of actually uh, there is another story to that. I'll just be brief. But it was stolen that night, and ten years later, oh. it turned up. It was handed in at the at uh, the Melbourne Creek Ground and I had to... And then they sent it up to Homebush Police Station and, and I had to go... On. That was ten years later and they asked me to come and identify because it was, you know, that was... And I, I did. I took my dog and off we went and, um, and there I have pictures of yeah. it and my dog <laughs> with, with it being upside down and sure enough, it, was the, it was the original.
1: Brilliant. <laughs> That's so great. Now, Julie, you, you've taken a, a sidestep from design at the moment. You're exploring life as a visual artist.
2: I am. Um, yes, I started painting uh, last February of, of 2021. It was something that was always on my to-do list and a whole range of personal circumstances also... ...kind of sent me in that direction. Um, you know, one was also COVID and what was going on with um, COVID. But I had always intended to eventually um, work in visual art as well. And um, I finally felt I had the, the time and the, the opportunity. And it's not to say that I won't, um, you know, c- continue... ...designing in some kind of way but I felt that if I was to um, succeed as a visual artist... ...I had to give it a a lot of time and not actually have any interruptions. Um, So, you know, for that reason I have been really focused on, on, on that for the last two years. Uh, …and I have kind of got myself into a position that now if I did go back into design… …I could pick it up more quickly because I have now established some relationships with some galleries… …and I understand how to connect and set up exhibitions um, far more easily than I knew a year and a half ago. Uh, so that doesn't quite require as much um, of my sort of learning time as, uh, as I have needed in this last year. So I, I hope to be able to mix and match it again, you know, possibly by next year. Yeah.
1: So, so to be a designer, do you have to be able to draw?
2: Well, I've always drawn... Um, in fact, uh, my first training was graphic design. And it was back in the day where there were no computers. So everything, washing machines, hats, everything, lettering, was drawn by hand. So you did need to be quite good with your hands. Um, I certainly need to to draw. But there are plenty of really good designers that that don't... ...that can't draw at all. Um, They have staff. (laughs) Um, And there's a lot of um, costume designers... ...that also will create on the mannequin... um, ...with little tiny sketches as well. But for me, I kind of work it out on the page. Or most of it on the page.
1: So after graphic design, is that when you trained at NIDA?
2: Yes, so after... So I did two years graphic design and then I worked in advertising for a year. And I felt I hadn't found my tribe. It felt really just didn't feel right. And um, the whole history side of working in costume and working in design... uh, ...I was trained as both set and costume designer... um, ...really, really appealed to me. So I think it is that whole storytelling which... Um, ..whereas advertising is more selling, I feel, has a more selling focus. And I think I was really intrigued and inspired by the whole notion of storytelling and, and history. Yeah, and then I um, did NIDA after that.
1: Who was teaching you at NIDA? Who, who was... I was
2: very fortunate to have the Robin Lovejoy. He was a director-designer and he was he was only there for three years... ..and he was there for the three years that I was there... And he was very, very supportive and very knowledgeable. Um, and I just, I, I still think, I kind of, for me, that was kind of like, he was like the perfect match.
1: Because Australia has produced some extraordinary costume designers, haven't they? Originally?
2: They have, and, and they have more Oscars for costume design than any other um, Oscar um, to- total.
1: Uh, People like Ori Kelly and uh, John Truscott.
2: Yeah, Ori Kelly, John Truscott, Catherine Martin. um, uh, Who who, who else is on that list? Angus? Oh no. Oh, he will. Um, So, oh, um, Lizzie Gardner. uh, Yes, Lizzie Gardner and Tim Tim Chappell, Chappell. the youngest ever non-acting award awardee uh, for the Oscars. Tim. Yep. Oh. That's his, he has many claims to fame, but that is one <laughs> that is one of his claims to fame.
1: And Jennifer, what was your pathway to design?
2: Art school
3: and then I I could always sew, always sew, and paint and draw. So I art school and then I did a technical theatre course in Adelaide. When it was you know, the Don Dunstan money in the money in the, in the arts. And the great festivals.
1: Well, hopefully we're we're on the dawn of a, 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 yeah, of new, a, new, a new day yes. with, with all of that too, uh, with an arts minister. Um, so you've both taught and are teaching designers of the future. What do you what do you teach them? What do you Obviously, there's the basics of the, but uh, the technique. Ask them. But oh, they're here, are they? They're here.
0: They? What, adv-
1: what advice do you give them about a career as, as a designer? Because uh, there's obviously less work for designers than there are for actors or other well, jobs in the, in the theatre.
2: I think I think... Um, so, a designer, when they graduate, can work in any field. ...they are skilled um, technically, creatively... ...and they've been put through such rigour, they can survive anything. So, isn't that true? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I think there's actually far more opportunity... ...for a NIDA design graduate now... ...than there was when I graduated because... ...you can be working in, you know, film, video, exhibition, TikTok... ...it can be anything now. And you can promote yourself. You're in charge of your own marketing journey. So i I personally think, um, you know, the future is, is really bright... ...for a NIDA design graduate. Um, and I keep saying NIDA because NIDA has been my, my life and I really, really believe in it. Um, but they will notice when they are at NIDA how hard the people around them are also working. And I think that is actually what they learn. That is what w- we, we teach in that you, it's, it's something you absolutely have to commit um, fully to... In order to succeed, it's not something you can do, kind of on the side. And once you're in a show, it becomes all, in all enc- wonderfully or all, all encompassing. I think that would be what I would hope that I would pass on to anybody that I mm. teach, as well as the technical well, I things. I didn't go to NIDA, <laughs> and I think it's pretty tough out there.
3: And you really, you've got to. Absolutely love the industry because it's not, it, it's, you know, in, there is no security in that in a freelancer's world. Um, but you must love it and you can succeed without going to Dieter. <laughs> no, I'm only, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, right, but there are a lot of people coming out of courses every year all over the country and it hasn't been a good. You know, a few decades, I think, and also with COVID, it's been really tough on the industry, and there's been a lot of people leave the industry. Um, I think you can be a designer, but you also need to have other skills too. I'm like I, I'm a sewer, and I've always sewn, and I've always sewn a lot of my own costumes too. It's always Bangara, but I think you need to, you need to just keep chipping away at it and and probably don't get stuck in television or film or dance or you know spread yourself around because there are more opportunities if you if you do um, i, I think you have to think from the bottom coming up coming up because there's a lot of people with a lot of experience that aren't getting the same jobs you know you can't walk out of a college and expect everything you got to you you got to start and work your way up and keep positive and if you and if you don't i mean it's very hard and you might fall by the wayside because there are only so many jobs but there are a lot more jobs than there used to be and with a bit of luck a lot more money in the industry to do it too and and actually at the moment is very hel- it seems very healthy because there's a lot of films happening and a lot of mini series and things and they're being built here so we we are on the up at the moment, but but that's as art directors, everything makers, but as a designer, there's probably not as many jobs. There's more, so we're but don't you think like there's not a, like well, as I a designer, you can if you can apply yourself piece, to different in. Oh. Well, you end up in art departments, or but you know, there might be 20 or 30 people in an art department, but you're ne- not necessarily going to be the designer, but you're going to be working in a great area. And the more you can skill yourself and more experience you can get, the, the more yeah, opportunities yourself, you're going those to have. Yeah, yeah. different perspectives, yeah. which
1: will eventually inform the whole, uh, uh defining your, where your place is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a lovely optimistic way to to finish up. Um, (laughs) Jennifer Erwin chukas for your three shows that are opening at the Opera House um, over over the next period. And Julie Lynch, uh, all the best for your pursuit um, into the visual arts. Thank Uh, you you so much for being part of Stages. Uh, It's been a great honour and privilege. Would you please uh, thank Jennifer (laughs) and Julie? And thank you very much for uh, for for joining us tonight for this stage's live uh, recording, um, and thank you for tuning in. If you're listening at home, please uh, feel free to go out and enjoy Powerhouse Up Late, which has the uh, the ballroom theme tonight and uh, is open till nine o'clock. Don't forget Vivid; the lights are open between uh, six and eleven every night. And thank you to. Uh, the Powerhouse staff tonight, Di and Kate and Dave, for uh, helping us get the, get the show on. Um, and good night. Thank you.